Hey guys, welcome back to the Life Snacks podcast, a podcast where we discuss health, wealth, relationships, careers, how to truly create our greatest lives and navigate that crazy time that is life after college and in our 20s. If you're new here, welcome. I'm your host, Lauren Tierney, personally obsessed with snacks and personal development and helping women be more connected as we navigate this crazy time in life. So I wanna start out by saying Happy New Year. I missed this podcast last week and it like literally felt wrong not to share an episode, but quite honestly, I think I just needed a second to regroup and reflect on how I wanna show up in this new year. As I took that time off and I was reflecting on the episodes from the year and all of the advice we've heard from so many incredible women It was just crazy to go through it all. And I shared this on social media with the end of year post on the Life Snacks podcast Instagram. But what was so crazy to me was in every single episode almost, the guest shared a piece of advice that was along the same lines of be able to be alone and sit with yourself and reflect on who you are and what you want from life. And I thought this was so interesting because often many of us struggle in the silence. We have so many things we can look at, our phones, we can watch TV, we can see a friend, we listen to a podcast, but not many of us are comfortable sitting alone in the silence or maybe just not many people in general are. So that's what I did last week. I journaled and I read about a lot of new things and it was just really a good time to reflect I baked a insane number of dough cookies. If you haven't tried their cookie dough yet, you definitely need to try it. I had Sabina on the podcast um, at the end of the year, who is their founder. And yeah, I'm absolutely obsessed with their cookie dough, with their drip, which is like a better for you Nutella. I, I really need to shut up about it because like this is not an ad. I just have consumed so much of it and love it so much that I'm telling you all. Anywho, I hope you enjoyed the weird week between Christmas and New Year's. You took some time to reflect. You maybe watched a whole season of Yellowstone. That may have happened for me. I'm freaking obsessed with that show. And I'm really excited to come into this new year with you all. And I'm thankful that you're still here and listening. And I can't wait to bring you some really badass guests in 2022. Okay, so I'm really excited to introduce our first guest of 2022. Our guest is Ashley Nicholson. She's the founder of one of my favorite bars. I've talked about them on here before. I've posted them on the podcast. They are so freaking good, particularly the cinnamon cookie dough one. It literally tastes like a snickerdoodle. They're called BTR Bars. And why I wanted to have Ashley on is her story is really so unique. Ashley actually lost both of her parents to cancer in her 20s in the span of just a few years. And the name BTR Bar stands for Bold, Tenacious, and Resilient. She formulated the product when she was in the hospital with her parents for years, and she realized the hospitals were feeding garbage to people that were, quite frankly, dying of cancer, and they were giving them terrible things with ingredients and chemicals that were awful for them. And Ashley went home one day and was like, hmm, how can I make a better snack to give my parents? So she started experimenting and she came up with her first few flavors. And before her dad actually passed away, he incorporated BTR bar and told Ashley she should do something with it one day. 
And on this episode, Ashley shares her journey with grief and losing her parents and navigating some of the darkest days of her life and how she really moved through that. She also shares her career journey and how a few years after her dad passed away, she dusted off her old recipes and decided it was time to give it a shot and see if she could start a company with her recipes. So without further ado, let's welcome Ashley Nicholson to the show. Ashley, we like to start out with the very serious questions so we can really get to know you on this podcast. So what is your favorite snack right now? And what was your favorite childhood snack? Love it. That's, that was, that's my favorite question right there. I could talk about snacks all day. I like to say I'm a cereal snacker. So I actually, we, we have BTR hats that say cereal snacker on oh them. God. They're so cute. I love that. So probably a little bit biased. You know, one of my favorite snacks is our cinnamon cookie dough energy bar, hands down. That is my favorite flavor of all four functional flavors that we have. I am also a huge, huge fan of brands like Siete Foods, Lil mm-hmm. Bucks, uh, Simple Mills. So, I mean, that's really where you can find me snacking. So I'm right now also my, my favorite snack. I'm just craving avocado and siete chips together. That's just like, uh, in the afternoon, that's what I go towards. Um, but as a child, I definitely was not like, I did not grow up in like this holistic health environment that it feels is very much like, you know, 2015 and beyond. Like my favorite snack was probably like Reese's pieces or milk duds or pop tarts. It's, it's crazy to think about, but that is what I grew up eating. And that was kind of, that kind of gives me that nostalgic feeling, but thinking back to what I used to put in my body as a child, like, oh my goodness, the, the amount of sugar and artificial flavor and coloring. And it like makes me cringe a little bit, but that was that was, that was what I ate as a kid. And I, you know, yeah. they obviously taste good because there's so much absolutely stuff in there. So it's, it's so funny. Cause it's kind of like the concept of when you know better, you do better. And it's like, we, back in the day, that was what everyone ate. There wasn't healthier for you brands. There wasn't this awareness around ing- ingredients, like what orange, like a big glass of orange juice or in my head, like I thought like sunny D was like, fire yeah. C. Totally. And cereal for breakfast was, you know, a really good thing. And, you know, like Lucky Charms, like, oh, well, the marshmallows may have a little bit of sugar, but like, then there's wheat and that's good for you. It's, I mean, things have just changed so much in 20, 25 years. It's unbelievable. Absolutely. I have to say your actual favorite snack right now is also my favorite snack and my boyfriend's favorite snack. The BTR bars are literally insane. Like the flavor is insane. So I'd love to just start out by not only talking about your company, BTR bars, but a little bit about the mission and really what brought you to founding this brand. Cause I think your story is so unique and so beautiful and really the definition of what a mission driven brand looks like. So I'd love if you could share with our listeners a little bit about what brought you to founding the brand. Yeah, absolutely. So, so BTR actually stands for be bold, tenacious and resilient. So that's really the core part of of our brand name. And actually where this is, if this airs after the 26th of December, which I'm sure it will be, we're actually doing a little bit of a brand update. So I'll give a sneak peek here. We're dropping the bar and 
we'll be adding something in place of the bar to really represent us in the snacking space, but we have to keep BTR. That was my parents' personal mantra. And that was it's just something that is really, every time I see BTR, when I look at, we have like our little BTR stickers, I have everything mm -hmm. around me in you know my home office, in, in our headquarters, it reminds me of my parents. And the reason I started the company in their honor is over five years ago, both my parents were diagnosed with rare forms of cancer. So my mom was diagnosed with a leomyosarcoma and my father with appendiceal cancer, like just so, so rare. And we were just constantly back and forth between doctor's appointments, chemo, radiation, all the things. And we were eating like crap. It's just the, the things that hospitals serve, what's in vending machines, cafeteria food. And I remember distinct moments, literally just like staring at a vending machine being like, okay, what is like the least worst thing in this vending machine? And I'd be like, oh, these like Knott's Berry Farm cookies. I guess they're good because they have like some berry flavor in them. <laughs> like the things that I would grab, I'm... I'm always been a big protein bar lover. I was a personal trainer for many years. I would eat like three quest bars on the floor. Oh my God. Quest bars. <laughs> like they, everyone had a quest bar phase. Everyone. Oh, yes, totally. And, and they're good, right? Like they taste yeah. good and they've actually, you know, quest has definitely improved their ingredients <laughs> over the years as well too, but there's just so much, you know, natural and artificial flavoring yeah. in those things and the amount of fiber, just the things we just, we just didn't feel well. And, you know, my parents also had very, very selective taste buds because going through chemo, pretty much everything tasted very metallic. And so I was like, can I do any better than this? So I, I have a background in biochemistry. So my bachelor is from NYU is in biochemistry and then uh, background in food studies as well. So I was like, I like to cook. I like to bake by no means. Am I like a chef, but I was like, yeah, I can throw some things together. Look at some ingredients. You know, I live, you know, start was starting to live more of this like holistic lifestyle, working out more, trying to like look at ingredients at this time. So I was like, okay, let me get into the kitchen. And I was making these little bites and one was a cinnamon swirl bite. And one was a, like a dark chocolate fudgy mm. bite. And they had some superfoods and adaptogens. They were plant-based and, you know, they were sweetened with monk fruit and my parents loved them. And I was like, okay, this is cool. And they were little balls at this time. They weren't bars. It's like, okay, that this was good. You know, I was giving them some protein. The doctors and nurses loved them. We had, had other caretakers who, you know, just make friends with people in the hospital. And it's, I was like, okay, this is, this is really cool. And my, my parents passed away and you know, my mom passed first and then my father um, was able to survive longer. And I just, I tabled everything. I just, especially after my mom passed, I was like, I just kind of went into this place. It was definitely probably one of the darkest places I've been is, you know, kind of just like shutting the world out just in this place where I was just so just unknown. And I just didn't, I didn't want a hobby. I didn't want to think about anything. And when my father passed, I really wanted to focus on just being in a, in an environment of stability and community. So I actually, in, I was in this process of a career transition. Anyway, I was working in education for many years. I was like, I just, I lived in the dorms with students. I, was wow. like, I can't live in the dorms with students anymore. I can't li I like, I loved my students. I worked at NYU. I worked at Rutgers worked at University of Delaware. So I've been up and down the East coast. And I was like, I cannot like listen to roommate conflict problems anymore. It's like, this is just, it's a lot. And yeah. especially when I'm dealing with so much myself and I said, okay, I'm going to completely do a career transition, complete 360. And I joined a startup. I was the first hire at a supplement startup called further food. And we made collagen products and it was a very food is medicine lifestyle. And it was an all women company. So I was the first full-time hire. There was one founder. We you know, then grew the company to this, you know, 
$9 million company in the time that I was there. And then in the middle of the pandemic, I was starting to feel this unknown sense of like this existential crisis that I think so many people felt and the same type of thing I was feeling when my parents were sick. It's like, am I doing really what I want to do? Is this like, you know, I, working for someone else. And and that's fine. Like I loved what I was doing. I loved the actual job and the company, but I was like, this is not my mission. I want to tell more of my story. I want to share my parents' legacy. I want to share like why I got here as opposed to like selling collagen. (laughs) So I resigned in the middle of a pandemic. And I said, I'm not going to work for anyone else. Like I'm going to try to make this work. And if it fails, then I'll go and work for someone else. But I have to give this a shot. So I dusted off my recipes. They were literally in a Google doc. I started interviewing co-packers and this was at the end of 2020. We did a soft launch on Instagram. And then really in February of 2021, we came full throttle with our final recipes. and, And here we are today. Well, that is an incredible story. So much I want to dive into. I think the first piece is really when you were in the hospitals and like there was these people are fighting for their lives usually in the hospital. Right. And there's there's no food that supports that, which is such a problem. And so such a beautiful thing. Your mission was born out of on that. I know your dad before he passed away, incorporated BTR bars. Can you share about that and how maybe your dad impacts the way you run your business and build your business? Totally. So my father worked in legal services and he, you know, when he knew this was kind of more like a hobby, he was like, okay, well, I think, you know, I think you can like do a catering thing. Like, what if you could sell these in stores? Like that would be so fun. This was kind of before e-commerce was like a big thing. And he was like, well, we can go and, you know, and pitch to stores. And, and my mom's journey was very different than my dad's journey. My mom's journey was very, very, very intense. And she was sick the whole time. And it was just, it was just so devastating to watch. And my father's journey at the end was really, really tough, but he also for a year and a half was able to like do things still and like exercise and like come and visit me. And we were able to, you know, go to dinner and, and, and things with my mom. It was just very, very challenging. That just was non-existent um, from the point of diagnosis. So my father was still working and he was like, this is a cool idea. Like, you know, do something with it. And he, so he incorporated us. So we're actually incorporated as better brownie bites because there's like all the names of things yeah. are basically taken in the world. So, um, so that was really, was really interesting. So I was like, oh, well maybe we'll be like better brownie bites. But then I was like, I don't want to just stick to brownies. And this was still in like this, like brainstorming phase, but he loved it. I mean, I think he was an entrepreneur at heart. Um, he, before his father passed and his father passed away very young, um, he had the whole family had a tree business, like a landscaping business. So my father was originally thinking he would take that over. And then he didn't, I think my father wanted to be an entrepreneur. He always had these dreams of like owning like a little New York city deli or restaurant. And I think he would be so proud. My mom is, was less of a risk taker. So she would yeah. probably be like in my, I can hear her every day in my ear being like, okay, just be careful about that. And she's the one that kind of brings out the more conservative, like risk averse part of me in the business. But my father is, he just loved everything from design. He was an artist. He would like, when he was sick, he was literally like in the hospital painting pictures and selling them on Etsy. So I really try to embody that every day and as it is hard. And so I try to think about like, would they be proud of me? I hope hope they're proud of me. I, I hope I'm making this right decision. So I definitely feel like everything I do is, is influenced by both of them. Um, and my father as an entrepreneur at heart, especially. 
how have you dealt with this loss? I think it's a hard thing to talk about. And I think your experience is so unique, not in, I would say a positive way, but like you lost both of your parents in such a short amount of time. And what advice would you give to those dealing with the loss? If you could share some words from your journey. Totally. I, and I still am dealing with this. So this is, you know, now over five years and it's still dealing with it. I think, you know, the number one thing I try to tell myself this every day is, you know, try to live how they would want you to live. And I think, you know, that was one thing my, my husband said to me when my father passed is like, you know, they, they don't want you to stop your life. Like they want you, like, this is, you know, my my mom was a stay at home mom. It's like, they, they wanted me to, to have the best and, you know, constantly reminding yourself that I'm also a very spiritual person. So I feel like I feel their spirit. Um, I feel their spirit around me and they like, they didn't see my husband and I get married. So we like, you know, we brought a big picture to our, we, we actually eloped in the middle of the pandemic. So it was a really small wedding anyway. Um, but it was beautiful on the beach. And but I brought this beautiful picture of my parents and we had it like overlooking the water. So I try to include them. I talk to them every day and everything that I do, see the one tangible thing to get, to go to therapy. Yeah. I wish I was listening to my own advice. Um, you know, I definitely, you know, see a therapist on and off, but it is, you can get in your own head and especially with the business. And especially, you know, when you're, you're living your life, some things can, can bring you down when you, you know, you see people, especially around the holidays and getting ready with their families. It's, it's really tough and you can get down and then that can impact your business. So it's really trying to figure out you know, the best outlet and who you can talk to. So I'm going to have a great support system. Um, a lot of my friends are very spiritual as well. So we, you know, we talk about my parents and we keep their legacy alive, but it's hard. It's hard. And there are some days that are, you know, people can say like, oh, well, it's been, you know, five and a half years, six years. Like it doesn't really get much easier. It's just that some days are good and you can rejoice with them. And some days you're feeling down. And I think giving yourself grace and feeling that, but finding an outlet and someone to talk to, whether that's professional or personally, when you're going through this grief is so, so important. And I wish I did that when my mom had passed, because instead I pretty much shut the whole world out for about a good, besides my father, besides for about a good six, seven, eight months until I met my now husband. So he, that was, that was good. <laughs> It's beautiful advice. And I think it's easier to take our own advice looking back. Right. And also sometimes, you know, that the right step might be seek therapy, do this thing, get out. But it's like when you're in that hole, it's impossible. But I hope someone listening can benefit from that. I saw in your 33rd birthday post, I think it was. Oh, my gosh. It was such a beautiful post. It's like 33 tips. Yes. And you talked about living your life, like you're writing your biography or maybe reading your biography. And it was so beautifully put. How do you live like that? Or how would you advise people that are kind of like struggling or maybe feeling like you felt in that rut when you were in your one job working for the food company and you were like, I want to pursue BTR bars. I don't think I'm living in my potential. Like how can people really tap into their potential? That's such a good question. I think what I did during this time frame is I really took a lot of time to reflect by myself and really just like open up a Google Doc or I, I just did literally did this on the notes section of my phone and really think about like what 
where do you envision yourself every day being your best self? And it really, for me, it was not working for someone else. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of, like, I put a lot of stress on myself as the founder and CEO of this company. I'm probably my, the world's greatest critic on myself. (laughs) But when I, I feel like when I work for someone else, there's always this sense of like, needing to prove myself. And I think it's, you know, I could talk forever about women in business and all of, all of that. Um, but I think there's always this sense of like, I need to be the best. I need to, you know, validate, you know, feel validated. I need this reassurance from my, you know, from my boss that I'm doing the best. And I think this is, you know, not to use the the millennial term, but I'm seeing this a lot on TikTok and Instagram, where there's just a lot of this corporate pressure and the millennial generation is feeling it so hard that they're always trying to prove themselves that they're, that they're their best. And when you run, when I'm running the company, yes, I want the product to, you know, be in people's hands, but it's more about the mission. So I really think taking a look back at how you feel your best every day. So like if Saturday and Sunday, when you're like, you know, not working is where you feel your best and where you feel your happiest. And if like Sunday night, you're getting like, you know, the Sunday scaries and that anxiety, there's something up there. But I also think it's easier said than done too. So for myself, you know, I had been saving forever to make, like, I knew I was going to make some move or some jump in my life. I financially prepared myself because I do not pay myself at BTR bar. And my husband also works for me and he does not get paid yet. Although next year, finally, one of us will have a paycheck. Um, it's so for a full year, I have not been taking a salary. So I knew I needed to, like, we're very, we're very frugal. We downsized, we moved to a one bedroom apartment, like, you know, being mindful of these things. I think sometimes when you see, you know, this, these messages on TikTok and Instagram, like go for it, quit your job. Like it is really easier said than done. You need to make sure that you're in a place where you feel comfortable and you feel like you can support yourself financially. And, you know, a lot of people say the universe will provide and I do agree, but when you're at a point where you're like, okay, how am I going to pay my rent? And now I'm still looking for a job. It can be challenging. So really making making sure you're prepared mentally, physically, financially, all spiritually, all of the things before making that leap, but give that time to reflect by yourself. Cause then I think sometimes friends and family, they'll either be so, so supportive, like you can do it. That's great. And they might, you know, have, have these rose colored glasses on or the other way they'd be, you know, be super negative. Be like, why would you do that? You have a six figure job. That's ridiculous. So really taking time yourself to hone in on what you're looking for and how you, what your ideal day looks like. That's such great advice. I think we see this culture. I fall into it. We read all the books, like take the leap, go for it. Like you only have one life. There's no dress rehearsal, like fine. True. But like when I can't pay my mortgage or whatever it is, then it's like, okay, th- this, something's got to get, like, this isn't going to work. I actually interviewed someone earlier this week and they were sharing like how they work a part-time job and they're building their business. And that's like what's made them be able to take the risk and the leap to do it because it's not black and white. And I think today's society glorifies like entrepreneurship, which is awesome, but it's also really fucking hard. And it is. Yes. And it's not just like a dream that comes to life when you snap your fingers. So true. And I think that you know, thinking about when you're starting a company, and this is something I probably was a little bit more naive about. And I still, you know, I talk to a lot of colleagues is like, everyone thinks when they 
when they start a business that they'll be able to either turn it into a family business or they'll be able to sell it. And the reality is that nine out of 10 companies fail. And that's, this yeah. is not to scare people. There's so much that you can learn. And, you know, I say to myself, like if BTR doesn't, you know, make it through the long haul, I'm also building this brand, right? I'm learning these skill sets that, you know, make, that are so transferable and that can make you hireable anywhere. When you mm-hmm. run your own company, you learn so much. But I think that I'm just like, oh, okay, well, when we get to a point, you know, where I can't manufacture, like our, one of our biggest issues, right, is manufacturing because we're moving so fast and there's so much demand. And I'm like, well, it would be wonderful if like a larger company could do the manufacturing for us. It could kind of like take that off of our, our hands. And, you know, the reality is, like, I was talking to a colleague this week. And most companies, even if you're making 20, 30, 40, $50 million a year, that's still not a place where you're going to be acquired. So yeah. it's really thinking about long-term where you see this company, but not letting that you know, distract you or deter you. Because at the end of the day, if you're not happy in your job, it's important to try to, to find a way to be happy. So whether that's talking to your manager and, and you know, doing other things. And I think the, the biggest reason people, besides the great resignation, I think the biggest reason why people leave their jobs is really just company culture and, and, and their manager. If they don't have a good relationship with their manager, it just ne- it's just not going to work out long-term and just being mindful of like asking for what you need. I think it's so hard. Cause like, Oh yeah, I can do that. I can do that. I can do mm-hmm. these like 30 million tasks. And then you're like, I, why did I volunteer for that? Why did I say yes? Yeah. And it's, it comes back to figuring out what really makes you happy in your role and trying to do more of that. Also knowing that, you know, you're always, you're always going to have a job. Even if you run your own company, things that you don't love to do, like accounting, that is not one yes. of my least favorite things. So I do not like spending time in QuickBooks, but it is something that, you know, regardless I have to do until I hire someone. So. No, all also true. I think so often we're people pleasing in a sense where we're like, yes, I can take that on because like you shared earlier, we want this in like this gratification, Lauren, you're doing a great job, but it's like, at what cost? I have a coworker that always asks me this. She says, like, how are things going or whatever? And I'll be like, you know, like, it's crazy, but we're going to get through. And she's like, but at, at what cost? At what cost to your That's happiness, to your sanity? And I think I never used to think about things that way because it's like, okay, I'm doing really well. And someone's going to tell me I'm doing really well eventually. And that's going to like push me, but it's only going to push you so far to like really facing this true burnout. If you're not taking that reflection time you shared to figure out like what the hell I want to do. It's, it's, it's hard because that gratification really fuels you. And then also promotion can fuel you. And, you know, at the end of the day, more money can fuel you as well. If you're, you know, if you're working in that nine to five settings, there's so much more responsibilities, but it really, it, it takes time to just, sit. And I mean, we were based in here in San Francisco. I like to like go to the water and really like clear my, clear my head and clear my thoughts and really hone in on what I'm feeling, whether now in the business or previously to, you know, when I was working at, I say a nine to five, but people don't work nine to five anymore. People pretty much work like nine to nines. So that, and that's the reality. And it's, it's, that's unbelievable as well. You know, I really, I give a lot of credit to companies um, like Bumble that, you know, Whitney is, 
is the CEO and she's been doing an incredible job at giving the whole company like 12 days off. Like that is something that when we have a team, I want to do because I don't want anyone to people please me so much in our team that their health is sacrificed. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really something and really cool to think about as we, you know, as hopefully next year we'll be able to make our first two hires. That's something I'm really thinking about is the culture that I want to establish while also knowing that, you know, I'm the manager and I have to, you know, be able to manage and not people please my employees too. So it's a, it's, it's definitely going to be an interesting challenge. And I'm sure it will bring you lots more lessons along the way and you'll have more to share. So speaking of BTR bar and hiring new people in the new year, like what have been some of the most pivotal and exciting moments this past year building the brand for me, at least Emily Griffith told me about them on a podcast and I immediately bought them because I was like, okay, I'm going to try any snack someone recommends that I've never had. So I bought them and my boyfriend was out of town and I like had one. And then I was like, Joe, I've, I found the best bar ever. <laughs> like you don't understand. Cause he, he eats bars as well. And he came home and we were like, this is crazy good. So I'm, I'm not sure like what your journeys look like. All I know to me is like, I found my favorite protein bar overnight, but I'd love to hear your journey, building the business and just some exciting and pivotal moments that have really pushed you forward. Yeah. So I, I think that probably the hardest thing in creating this really clean, you know, ingredient forward, like very, very focused on these purpose-driven ingredients, but also something that tastes good has been probably the greatest challenge. So, you know, being able to cater to what our community wants every day, we get like a request for a new flavor. Like someone just requested a s'mores flavor yesterday. And I'm like, I can't make a s'mores flavor because you can only use natural flavors. We do not like, it's something I try to avoid natural flavors, like in my daily life, because I just don't know what they are. And I have a lot of food sensitivities and I'm just, you know, very careful about what, you know, what I put in my body and not to say like, you know, I'm not, I'm not keto. I like that the bars, you know, I wanted the bars to be low in sugar, especially given my parents' journey and really moving them away from sugar. So for me, the criteria for BTR bar is that they're plant-based. We mostly plant-based in our household, that they're very low in sugar with no added sugar, that they have no natural flavors and they have no like sketchy random ingredients and yeah. gums and fillers and all I that I feel stuff. like the natural flavors is a great point to just call out here because I think there's been so much uproar over, um, well, no one listens to this anyways in terms of like an almond milk brand, but everyone's been freaking out over milk because they just added natural flavors to their milk. And like the people that buy milk are people that are like follow their flavors and or their ingredients and really look. And natural flavors are like a huge issue because everyone puts them in and no one knows what they are. So I think I can only imagine how hard it's been to stay away from those building this bar. It is so hard. Like every co-packer that we went to, they were like, you have, you have to use natural flavors. Like this is, this is the bar industry, right? Like this is how people make caramel bars and cookies and cream and, and all these things. And I was really focused on the herbalism and the herbs that we yeah. could use to, you know, can we use lacuma? Can we use cinnamon? Can we use cloves and ginger? And, you know, finally, like one co-packer was like, we can make this work, but just be mindful that, you know, we've been trying to work on this salted caramel flavor for months. Really? And okay. we can't, we can't make 
make it happen. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna share the the evolution of that flavor and what that looks like. We are launching a fifth flavor in twenty in early 2022, but it's not salted caramel. And I was so <laughs> so excited, and our community was so excited. We went through all these different versions, and it was really it was good, but it didn't taste like caramel. So I couldn't put it out there. It kind of tasted like this creamy nut butter, which is still delicious. But like we have a peanut butter bar, all of our bars are nut butter based. So we like you know bringing something to market that just didn't have the flavor profile I was looking for. It's like, okay, we got to, got to toss it out and start over. And that's exactly Gosh. what we did. And, you know, several thousand dollars later. Yeah, I was going to say that must've been tough. And so, yeah. R&D is really, really expensive, but that, so that's probably, it's exciting, but that's probably one of the harder parts of the journey is, you know, that customers don't always get. So I really have to, you know, do an even better job of sharing that part of our, our story and why, you know, people understand why I'm making the bars the way that they are, but how does it get from, you know, a, a recipe in literally in Google Docs to what it is today? So that has definitely been the most challenging part of the journey, but some like exciting pivotal moments is for me, seeing the product on shelf, like that is it's, it's crazy because people say like, oh, well, you know, brick and mortar is, is, is dying and, you know, e-commerce is everything. And my background is e-commerce. So coming from an e-commerce supplement company, that's what I know how to do. So I was like, this is, you know, we'll be digitally native, but the traction that we've been getting in retail has been incredible. So we launched into central market in uh, all 10 locations in Texas uh, in November. And that was so exciting. And it's just, every time we get a reorder, it, it's been it's just so exciting to see people ask for bars and we have buyers. Like I just had a buyer yesterday, reach out to us and be like, are they coming? Like our customers are asking. And that's just, I think that's the most exciting thing is seeing someone, you know, you're just shopping in a store and you see someone like pick up your product that you make and look at it and then put it in their basket. It's just, I, it's, it's indescribable. So that is definitely been a pivotal moment for us is really um, our omni-channel launch into retail. And we've, we're opening up at least 50 new retailers in the next two months. So we're That's very, very so excited. Exciting. Yeah. It's, it's, it's also a challenge because retail is definitely a whole different game than e-commerce and cash flow is different because you get paid much later and it's, you know, inventory. There's so much that goes into it, but it's so worth it because it's, it's just unbelievable to see people look for your product in a grocery store that you shop in. So that's just so cool. And I think that's been the most exciting thing for us. And and so many things for 2022. Like it's, yeah, we have a, you know one flavor, which I keep putting down because I'm like, oh, we have one flavor coming, but we're actually launching a new line in a completely different category. So still in the snack space. So oh my gosh. I'm we're too a snack company. Now. Yes. Uh, this is, it's closer to end of 2022, but we already started the R and D and we're looking at a September, October launch. And I'm just so excited. So still in the snack space, but it is not a bar. I can't wait. Um, I think it also speaks to the quality of the brand that you put a ton of money into this salted caramel flavor and you're like, it's not good enough. Like we can't move forward because it's just not good enough because I can imagine that's a really tough call to make, but I think I've tried so many bars and I've been like, oh, it's good, but it's not like whatever the flavor says, right? Because it, it's something about like consumer expectations when you try bars. So I can imagine that was a very challenging decision to make, but I'm excited to see what new flavor comes because- uh -huh. I don't know. I don't know if anything's going to top cinnamon cookie dough, but I don't know. It's, it's tough one to top. It's my favorite too. So it, it's the one that like jumps out at you because it's like, Oh shit. Like this, it really is 
it like it hits it on the head but also peanut butter chocolate chip is a close second of mine it's too. a good one it's a more common flavor i actually i was not planning on launching a peanut butter flavor period but we we launched it in Mar- end of march this year because our customer base they were mm-hmm. like can you please just make a peanut butter bar yes. My goal was to make something, you know, close to a perfect bar, essentially, but mm-hmm. without the sugar, really. And that's that's what we're trying to represent is really that same like cookie dough like texture and without all of the sugar. And, you know, I, you know, I love perfect bars, but they are 300. Yeah. They're very dense, right? They're more they're of a dense. They're like a brick in your stomach sometimes. Yeah. So it's, it's more of a, a meal replacement for me. Yeah. Um, so I was like, let's you know, this is more of a snack. We're always going to be like we're very very, I try to stay very true to our mission is we are a snack brand. We are not a supplement company. We see tons of bar companies launch like, oh, well I'm, I'm a bar. And I know that the hydration space is super popular. So I'm going to launch a hydration booster. And then I'm going to launch a collagen product. And, yeah. and that's fine. Right. Like, cause it helps add revenue, which is important because you need to come up with new flavors and you need to constantly innovate. So I totally get it. But for, for us, especially cause we're bootstrapped and we're self-funded at the moment, we are also trying to currently fundraise at the same time. So lots of fun things. Um, being bootstrapped, you have to be really mindful of what you bring to market. And for us, I'm, I wasn't going to bring kind of like this like subsidiary product. So it is in the snack space, thinking back to like those vending machine and that like vending machine moment, I'm like, what else sits in the vending machine that needs to be cleaned up? And that's really like the question that I'm going to be constantly asking ourselves as we go into 2023 and 2024 and we expand into new categories, being mindful that I don't want to expand too fast because you see this all the time. And then, you know, we're known as a bar brand. So when retailers are like, okay, well, this gives them now, we'll be in business for about a year and a half before we launch this new category. And now they're like, oh, okay, great. Now this is something else we can add to our shelves as opposed to when people launch like three lines at one time. I don't know how they do it, but probably a lot of money and a really good team. So hopefully we'll we'll get there at some point. (laughs) You absolutely will. You absolutely will. Noah. I think it's so funny. People ask for a peanut butter bar because your peanut butter bar like hits the nail on the head in the sense that there's this vegan, like cleanest ingredient dessert place here. Anyone that knows me is laughing, listening to this because it's all it's called ingrained. And all I do is order ingrained desserts. But um, it tastes like they're like peanut butter because it's like so fresh. So kudos to you guys. You're crushing it. Um, Thank you. That's so good to know. Now I got to try that. I love love peanut. I literally eat it out of the jar. Yeah, literally. It's it's an issue. My brother was allergic to peanut butter growing up, so I never had it until I was like 20 one and my boyfriend gave me my first Reese's cup and you know now everything I eat is chocolate and peanut butter I love it and and that that brings up a good point you know some people will say like are you going to make you know nut free options and definitely working on it but we are not like you can't be everything to everyone yes. we check off a ton of boxes we are vegan we are keto we are paleo or so well, it depends on how you look at paleo if peanuts count or not but yeah. some cookie dough and dark chocolate brownies as paleo so we you know and check off all these boxes, but we're not top eight allergen free. So we, you know, we have nuts in our product and that's what, how, why we're able to get that creamy cookie dough texture. So we always tell people like, you know, we are going to work on it and we probably, yeah. you know, we'll definitely have at least one nut free option, but that's not going to be the whole portfolio. So, but there's tons of amazing brands that are doing really good things that are seed based or date based, but mm-hmm. we're a nut butter based bar. Totally. And I think you brought up such a good point. Like so many brands try to do everything. And it's like, there's a lot of people that just fucking love peanut butter and like there. And I think like not 
getting too much into like serving everyone's needs because there's also going to be a different trend all the time and a different diet. And it's like, there, there's no way to keep up. So that's such a great point. I also want to talk about something I saw in your 33rd birthday post, and it talks about health being your number one priority. I think this really spoke to me in the sense that you also put in that post, go to the dentist or something like that, <laughs> which I've joked about on this podcast, but like when I graduated from college, I lived in San Francisco, then I moved to Chicago. And it's like, I don't think I went to the dentist since like my mom made my last appointment when I was in like coming home from school. Like it had been so long. And I think at this time of life, we kind of don't prioritize that. We're might be in our mid twenties. We're like, I'm invincible or just like I'm healthy and I don't need to go to the doctor. Like my parents go to the doctor. Like I'd love to hear your advice on that and just kind of what things you do to prioritize your health. Sure. Yeah. When it comes to physical health, 100% prioritize, literally top priority. So, and it never used to be, it really, it was, it was, it was my parents and kind of just that, you know, coming face to face with, with death and coming face to face with illness. And, um, you know, I think my mom was, oh, I'm, I'm definitely a little bit more like my mom in this way. She was always very paranoid about getting sick and just like this fear. And my father was more of like, live life, be in the moment, be present. And uh, so I probably take off after my mom a bit. I'm definitely more on the paranoid side. So I, I see my doctor, I literally have a doctor's appointment, a virtual doctor's appointment at 11 a.m. Like anytime there's like an ache or a pain or I'm like, I just want to go for extra blood work. I am very grateful and lucky that I have wonderful health insurance and we're based here in California. And it is, that is, that was a priority is really figuring out like, you know, what health insurance is good for me, what health insurance is good for my family. And prior to this, I just didn't, like, I just didn't care. It just wasn't a thought. I mean, I was on my parents' health insurance for a while. And then I was working in universities and I was like, whatever, I'll just go for like an annual, I guess, if they like remind yeah. me. And when, when my parents got sick, it just changed everything. I, I also, I, I see a genetic counselor. Like there's so many things that I'm trying to, you know, just be proactive about. I think that I think it's important. And I think that the first thing is finding a doctor that you trust, whether it's a functional medicine doctor, whether it's you know a nutritionist, a registered dietitian, like finding a whole team of professionals that you trust. Cause I think that in the holistic wellness space, I think traditional Western medicine gets a really bad rep. And I totally get it because I had a gastroenterologist who was literally like drinking diet Coke. And I had a colonoscopy because I, I have IBS. So they were trying to figure out and just make sure I didn't have Crohn's or anything. And I literally, he was like drinking diet Coke and he was like, yeah, just, this was when I was eating my quest bars. He was like, yeah, you know, you can eat three quest bars in a day. Like that's totally fine. I'm like, I think that's too much fiber. Like, I think I'm, that's what's causing all these yeah. issues. Oh my God. Nothing messed my no. stomach up like quest bars back in the day. <laughs> that's where like, I, you know, very grateful. I have, you know, a really great team here in California where they are very holistic. So it's, you know, if I talk to them about diet, they're like, great, let's have you talk to a nutritionist as well. And, you know, see if maybe that's what's up and let's order these extra labs. And it's really very holistic as opposed to, you know, a lot of, a lot of doctor, traditional doctors are like, no, it's definitely not diet. Like just take this pill or just take Miralax. That was the big thing. It's like, just take Miralax every day for the rest of your life twice a day. And I'm like, does that. And, but that is, you know, it's really important to interview your doctors. And like, if you don't like them, you fire them and that's okay. Right. They have tons of of patients. So figure out what works best for you and, you know, really find a team of professionals. Cause if something's bothering you, I think the thing is like, and I still do this, right. 
all the time, probably too much. You go online, you're going to Google, like, you know, what is this? What is this symptom? And then you get, you know, go in that downward spiral. So really going to an expert and, you know, identifying the team that works best for you and being, you know, staying on top of it. You have to be your own advocate. It's my mom was misdiagnosed for many years. And I think that's also why, you know, I think about it and I think if she, you know, if she had had a hysterectomy and she could still be here today. So it's really about finding a team of care professionals that will help you. And that also goes for mental health as well, which I think is a lot harder. I think it's super, super hard to find a therapist and still looking for a good one. So taking recommendations in San Francisco, it is really, really challenging because mental health is just scarce. So, and then finding a good dentist, right? Like I, I, I need to go to the dentist. It was a good reminder for myself. It's been a year and a half, but I do try to go once a year. And the reason that I put that in my post is because I totally, I was like teeth, who cares that much about teeth? Like it'll be fine. And I found out that, you know, after my father passed, I guess it was like grinding my teeth so much. Uh, I had to have a, a root canal and it was, it was extremely expensive and extremely painful mm-hmm. and like weeks of my time. So I was like, this is from now on, I'm going to be proactive with dental care as well, but finding a team that works for you. I, I think that's so, so important. And, you know, I see this all the time. I see a lot of extremes on Instagram, like, well, you know, my, my doctor did nothing. So I'm only going the route of like functional medicine. And I think that there's incredible functional medicine, medical doctors out there and naturopathic doctors. And we work with some on our advisory panel and they're amazing, but it's, you know, if you need surgery, right? Like being proactive and just making sure you have a team and backups, there's nothing wrong with that. So even if you want to go a holistic route, like share that, like, I don't, I don't really take Tylenol. I don't take Excedrin. Like when my head hurts, I tell my doctor, I'm not going to do that. So what are some other ways? And he's like, here's acupuncture. Why don't you go to this massage therapist? Like find someone who's going to be your advocate as well. That's such a good point. I think I think this is kind of a problem in society a bit. Sometimes we have to be all holistic health, anti like Western medicine or just one way or the other. And I do think there's something beautiful in between, right? Like looking at holistic ways to solve stomach issues or IBS or whatever, but also talking to your doctor about what might be coming up or talking to your therapist on top of all this about what could be going on in your head that's giving you other issues. Like it, it really is all interconnected. I had someone on the podcast a few weeks ago and she had mentioned like, the issue with healthcare is everyone makes you think it's disconnected when at some point it is all connected. You just have to find like the right connection and system that works for you. So, so true. It's everything in the, and you know, I think a lot of times people say like, oh, well it's, it's stress, it's anxiety. And a lot of times it is right. There are yeah. many, many times where, you know, sometimes I'll be like, I feel this chest pain. I remember, I remember telling my doctor, I'm like, Oh, I'm feeling this like tingling down my left arm. And you know, can we go for an EKG? And he's like, sure. And then it was fine. And he's like, I think it's, like, it's anxiety. And this was, this was at the time when I was about to you know, quit my job and there was just so much stress and so many things go, you know, swimming around in the brain and the brain is very powerful. So being able to find techniques, uh, working on it every day to quiet the anxious voice that I'm like literally meditating like twice a day now, and I'm still anxious, right? There's still points of the day where I'm anxious. So finding the tangibles, I just don't think they exist. So I'm like making a list for myself and I'll, I'll share at some point on Instagram of things that like make me calm and hopefully it'll help other people as well. And sometimes the best medicine is like distracting yourself and like going for a walk or like watching an episode of friends. Like literally sometimes that's the best medicine for me is really just to like 
put everything away and literally turn on the TV, which is something we just don't do because we're scrolling so much. And that is something very old school, but it sometimes it just, you forget what you were worrying about and then all of a sudden you feel better. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm right there with you on that journey of like quieting your mind, finding techniques. I think I've had every meditation app in the world and journaling technique that I used for three weeks and everything else because it's a process. But I think the key, like you shared, is to just keep trying things um, and taking a mental note of what's working in terms of mentality and how you approach different things in your life. I kind of want to talk about fear and just kind of the struggles you've had in this business or maybe at times when people have given you advice that you didn't believe in, or you've had to make a fearful decision, or you've been told like the bar industry is saturated. I'm sure you've heard all of these things. I'd be interested at, especially because you have such a spiritual side to you. Like how do you approach fear? How do you approach decision-making and how do you approach like these bigger, tough moments in building a business? Oh, such a good question. And I wish, I wish I had a better answer for this one. I am very risk averse and I, it's, it's definitely a challenge. I'm actually reading a book on decision-making called choose better. And the thing that I'm trying to get out of my own head for the first step is to make the decision. And I think as a solo founder, I feel this way more than when you have a team. And, you know, I always say, if I ever start another business, will not be doing this solo. <laughs> we'll definitely have a co-founder because it is challenging. I probably bring a lot of, you know, I brainstorm a lot out loud. My husband's always like, I don't know what to tell you. Like my husband <laughs> works for me, but he's, he works, he's our warehouse manager. He does all of our logistics, more of the day-to-day operational, like fulfilling all of our packages, helping out with demos. And he's like, you know, these high level strategy conversations. He's like, I don't know, I don't know the answer. And I'm like, I'm just brainstorming out loud. Um, but I probably brainstorm out loud way too much. But the tip that I would give- It's unwanted brainstorming. I do the same too. You're like, well, don't you have an opinion? And it's like, I'm just drinking my coffee. I think my husband said that this morning already. So it's, it's so, so true. But I'm really trying to avoid this analysis paralysis. I think it's huge. And it's where we get into our own head and we end up not making a decision because we've talked ourselves out of it. So I'm reading a book on decision-making to help. I have a lot of mantras and little post-it notes all over my desk, usually encouraging me just to like take that risk, take that leap, because most of the time the obstacle is actually in our head and we've reframed it and told ourselves this narrative that's actually not true. So when we're reaching out to a buyer or when we're reaching out to someone on LinkedIn or connecting and something I'm really trying to do as we're starting the fundraising process now, because I am not, I'm a marketer, right? Like I'm building a brand. I want, I have a message to share. Like that's the thing that I love the most and raising money and asking people for money is, is so different than that. And I'm really trying to get out of my own head, especially when people say like, oh, the bar space is so saturated. It is, it is one of the most saturated spaces in food and bev, but the, you know, the sparkling water section is also so crowded and, you know, RTD coffee and everything in food and beverage is saturated right now. Even plant-based meat at this time is is saturated. So really coming back to reminding yourself of your why, like why, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing and why am I different? Like, I think also, you know, a lot of companies do form because of a personal need, but thinking about that differentiator will really, really help you when you pitch and get over that fear. So I'm really trying to like, get out of my own head and out of my own way and say like, 
okay, if what's the worst thing that's going to happen, right? Someone will say no. Or to me, the worst thing, like if someone says no, that's not even the worst thing because I'm like, okay, great. I have an answer. I'm someone who's, I'm a Virgo at my core. I'm a Virgo sun. I'm a Virgo moon. Like literally there's so much Virgo in me. I'm like, I just want an answer. I want all the data in front of me. Sometimes you don't have the data. So you really have to, you know, sometimes go on your gut. So I, I used to say in all of my podcasts, like I rely, you know, 50% on data, 50% on gut. Lately, I've been leaning more on data. And I think that's good, right? I think it's really yeah. important. But at the end of the day, to actually pull the trigger and get over that fear, you have to just, there's something in you that just has to turn on and, and go for it. And obviously, like I said, easier said than done. There's certain things like that are costly in the business, right? Like we're going into R&D for this new product line for literally two weeks. I knew I wanted to this new product line, but for two weeks, I let the invoice sit in my inbox. Oh like, my okay, let me, maybe it was a week and a half, but it was definitely some time. I knew I was going to pay, like I knew I was going to pay for it. I knew we were going to fund this new line. I want to do this. Everyone is excited. Our advisors are excited. The investors we have on board are super excited. Why, why am I waiting to do this? But there was something in me. I was like, wow, this is just a lot of money when we have so much that we need to do and think about with our bars and we're launching into, into a new category. And then finally, it was just, you know, I looked down at like a post-it note or something like that. That was like, I don't even remember what it said, but it was some type of mantra that was like, just do it. Like, just keep going, keep moving forward and, you know, get over, get out of your own head. I write that down all the time. And that's what, that's what helped me, me do it. But I literally, fear is just part of, the every day when you're running a business and you really just have to quiet it because most of the time it's just made up in your head. That's such good advice. I think, especially analysis paralysis, like most people don't do it because they're waiting for it to be perfect. They're waiting for the right decision. And it's kind of like this idea of failing fast, almost like make a decision and it doesn't work. And then you make a new one, not to say it's that easy and financially always, but like I have been in a smaller scale, like caught with that with my podcast when I started it, when I've done different things, when I hosted an event, like it's this, this pair, like this fear to do anything, but like doing something is always going to be better than doing absolutely nothing. Exactly. Um, so I love that advice because I think it's so spot on. What is one piece of advice you would give to someone that wants to start a food or a CPG company? Oh my God. I have so, I have so many pieces of advice. Okay. okay maybe, maybe two. <laughs> I'll do two. I'll do two really quickly. So the first one is know your differentiator. I think that there's so many me too companies and, and people could say like, well, you're a bar company. You're a me too company as well, but we cater towards a very, very specific target, right? The target, the people who are looking at ingredients with a fine tooth comb, they're looking for no added sugar. And they, you know, a lot of our customers have diabetes. A lot of our customers are, are cancer patients, cancer survivors. Like we are catering towards a very specific population of people who have been waiting for a bar or a snack on the market like this. And, you know, I see a lot of companies come to market and it's basically like, we're here to, you know, help you live better, which is, I, I totally get it, right? Like we're here to help you snack better. Like there's just been trying to figure out that differentiator. So you're going to be able to pitch better knowing your target audience or who you want your target audience to be is so, so critical. And then the second thing, is have money. So that is easier said than done. And I, I, I listen, Mark Samuels, he's the founder and CEO of I want organics. He says this all the time. And I literally on LinkedIn, I, I, I get a new post from him every single day about capital and food and debt. 
it is very different than the thing I'm learning now is it's extremely different than tech or fintech or healthcare. It's where there's so much funding and there is a lot of funding in food and dev too, but it goes towards specific categories, right? It goes towards, you know, this white space that maybe it might not have the same revenue as like the bar category, which you can take a little chunk of the bar category and still be doing incredibly well, but may not be as well-funded because it's not as different as kind of like, you know, this plant-based crab or something that has come to the market. So really being able to know, have the, well, what did my, my fractional CFO, she calls it a treasury. So build your treasury. If you're starting, want to start a food and beverage business, figure out like, this is the money that I, I have enough to, to donate to the business. This is how I'm going to do family and friends. This is how I'm going to, you know, raise my first round. This is where I'm going to do some crowdfunding. Just figure out where you're going to get the capital. And it's okay to bootstrap. It's okay to, to move slowly. I think that sometimes in food and bed, everyone, including myself, I'm like, well, if we don't quadruple next year, that's, that's not good, but it's okay to double. Like it's okay to be growing at a, a different pace, especially if you're self-funding it. If you, if you're VC backed, totally different. You have to grow at a much different speed and you have to hire and it's, it's very different, but if it's just you and you're still in the kitchen, like making the product, which is amazing. Define the success for yourself. Like not every company has to exit. Not every company will exit with a hundred million dollar exit. It's just so rare. So figure out what success looks like for you before you jump in. Those would be my two. I I love that advice. Ashley, my closing question is also my favorite question. What advice would you give to the Ashley that just graduated from college? This question like almost made me cry when, when you sent it over. Oh my goodness. I think... I, I, I think probably the, <laughs> I thought about it and I still like don't have an answer for this one. The advice that I would give to Ashley who just graduated from college, probably the same advice that I would give to myself today is like, let go of perfection. I, I'm a, still a perfectionist now, but I feel like I'm getting a bit better because running a business, you learn so much. You, you know, you are going to fail. There's certain things you're going to fail at and it's okay. Like there's certain things you're not going to be the best. You're not going to win an, an award all the time. But I, what, you know, as a, as a young Ashley, I was the Ashley that, you know, went to all the science competitions and won first place. And like, I, you know, won every award on the face of the planet. And it's like, it, that perfection, sometimes it's like, it's good. It's great. I'm very grateful and I'm grateful for the hard work, but you know, I think back to Ashley in college and Ashley in college, like didn't really enjoy college. Like I worked the entire time. I had three jobs. I, you know, was, I was an RA. I, you know, there was just so many things and I probably, you know, missed certain opportunities and in, in in a social scene. And I think that really like letting go of that perfection because it doesn't mean anything. Like even your GPA in college, unless you're going into like law Uh, or medicine. Yeah, it doesn't. you know, when you need to get to that next step at the end of the day, like no one cares if you have a 3.3 or a 3.0, no No one's one's going to ask you. I don't even remember. Like it's, it's crazy. And I think that that's, that's the piece of advice. Like let it go. Like it is just not that important. And the lessons that you're learning every day, way more important. And I wish I did more of that documentation in college. I was just so focused and so in the weeds of like, what's the next step? And okay, I'm going to grad school. And when I go to grad school, I'm going to go work at this college and then I'm going to go here. And it's, it was so much of this linear path. And that's just not what life is like at all. So that would be the advice I would give to Ashley and anyone that's listening that is coming out of college. It's all, it, 
life is, is a spiral, right? Like there's just yeah. so many different things and ways that you can do things and don't be afraid to career transition. Like people change careers at 40 and 50 and it's okay. So yeah, oh, I love of perfection. I love that so much. Alrighty. Well, I'm going to link the BTR bar account and the website in the bio. Is there anywhere else we can check out BTR bars? I know you said you're in central market in Texas, you're in Dom's in Chicago. Yes. Where else can we find you? So you'll be able to find us in Chicago soon at a very popular trendy spot. I can't share just yet. Can I guess? It's coming. I can't say yes or no. <laughs> you can guess. <laughs> My guess is Foxtrot because that's where a lot of great snacks are, but we, we will wait and see guys. Wait, listening. Yes, it'll, it will be on shelves soon. So you, you will find out. And then also if you want to check out our, our TikTok as well. So I, I make all of our TikToks. I wish I made more because TikTok is such a cool platform and I wish I had more time to do fun stuff on there, but we do have some really cool TikToks and it's store, you know, we share our story and our mission on there. It's, it's really cool. So those are the best places to find us. Awesome. I will link them all in the show notes. Thank you, Ashley. This conversation was amazing and I'm so glad we could have you on. Likewise. Thank you so much. It was so much fun. Thanks for listening to my episode with Ashley. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And if you did, feel free to share it on social, tag Ashley, tag myself, and let us know what resonated with you from this conversation. Also, not only am I going to still ask you to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, but Spotify now allows you to rate podcasts as well. So if you have a second, please, please, please just give us a rating. It is so helpful. And I am truly grateful for all of you that have already left ratings. That's all for me this week, guys. I'll be back next week with another episode.